Welcome to Grace Community Church On Demand, the weekly podcast from the Sunday services at Grace Community Church in Rupert, Idaho. Here at Grace, we believe in building the kingdom of God one person at a time. We're passionate about loving God, loving people, and following Jesus. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Travis Turner. Anyway, I, uh, I think we're supposed to be in Hebrews today and maybe some other places we'll see if we can get started here in a minute. That was a wonderful time of uh, our ministry to the Lord, which uh, he responds, of course, always to and immediately with ministry to us in so many ways. Thank you, Lord, that you are here with us in accordance with your word. So the epistle to the Hebrews, uh, we spoke on this back at the end of October, and it's a great privilege to be with you again and, and share more of his marvelous truths. The epistle to the Hebrews dates to before A.D. 70. We don't know the exact date, nor do we know its author to this day. We do not know who penned the epistle to the Hebrews. The Hebrews meaning the uh, Christian Jews. The Christian Jews. Um, you know, if, if you were a Christian Jew in uh, A.D. 29, which is about the time Christ was crucified, and you got swept uh, into the church, perhaps uh, through what occurred at Pentecost in the upper room, and uh, in all the outflow from Pentecost, you got swept into the church and Christianity, and... Uh, you were enjoying this new covenant promise sealed in Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to the side of the Father where he sits to this day as the fusion of God and a Jewish man. And so you were quite excited as that new Jewish Christian in first century AD. And you fully believed that the return of the Lord, his second coming to the earth was imminent. You were certain you would see it in your lifetime. It didn't come. It still hasn't come. And uh, many of the Jewish Christians were either walking away from Christ and going back to Judaism or they were sure contemplating it because God hadn't delivered. Philip Yancey writes a wonderful book, Disappointment with God. Anybody in here been disappointed with God? Are there more honest people than that in the room? If you've been in Christ very long at all, you've had some disappointment with him. Because we, um, if you're anything like me, and you are, okay? Because it's really a pretty short list of, of issues that we have with God and, and with our fellow man, and, and we all need the same solution. 
But disappointment with God can um, generally re result in us taking one of two pathways. Uh, we have a close minister friend who uh, lost his wife recently, and he was in the pulpit. That was on Wednesday. He was in the pulpit on the following Sunday and preached. And my wife and I listened to that message on our way home from North Dakota. And I don't know who was driving the truck because though I was in the driver's seat, I don't remember much of the drive because it was the most powerful message I think I've ever heard in my life because it, it, it came from a place in that man that, only, uh, that you only open and extract from when you are in the very lowest point of your grief and sorrow and despair. Many of you have been in such a place. Some of you are there right now. So when we're facing bitter disappointment and God is by our metric our cure-all, but we know from his word that his ways are high above our ways and his thoughts are high above our thoughts. After all, he is infinity. He is eternity. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the ending, the first, the last, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. He is everything that we can attach any superlative descriptor to. And so when we face that bitter disappointment in our humanity, it, it generally uh, represents a branch point in the algorithm for our life. And, and we're going to take one road, which is into greater submitted belief, which is another way of saying faith. It's not just belief, it's submitted belief because the devils believe in God and tremble. So it isn't simply belief, it is submitted belief. You might say submitted to what? Submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That he is over all. Everything including your point of grief or bitter disappointment. And so we choose in those times, we, we, we press further into submitted belief. That's the pathway. Or we take the alternative, which is we um, go into unbelief. And we're going to look at that process in the book of Hebrews a bit today and see what the author of Hebrews has to say concerning that. You know, all of this kind of boils down to, to this. The Lord comes to us at a time and times in our life, and he, he asks us a question. It's always the same question. He may word it in 5,000 different ways, but if you take all of those wordings and distill them out to one question, the question is this, do you want to live? Do you want to live? The necessary answer on our part is yes. When we entered covenant with Christ, sealed by him at the cross of Calvary with his blood, when we enter that covenant, 
He brings his blood. We bring a yes. It's all we have to bring. It's the most marvelous transfer of gifting in the history of humanity. Jesus Christ is the dividing point on the timeline of history. We've tried to remove him from that. We call the timeline BCE, before common era, and CE, common era. Well, I would beg with you that it's actually BC as in before Christ and AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. I'm tired in a spirit-led way of the correctness of culture which believes that we can make everyone okay since we champion in our culture that you are your own truth. I condemn that. I condemn that. Jesus. Jesus said of himself. And how many of you appreciate that the Bible is horrifically specific in its wording? This is the very word of God. It is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a critic of the thoughts and intents of the heart. His word is so specific. So when Jesus says, I am a way, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Jesus, the Christ of God. The Father, the Holy Spirit, love the Son. They love Him above everything. He invites us to join with Him on the most exciting ride you will ever have when you simply bring your yes to the table. His blood, your yes. Now we will see in Hebrews if we ever get there. <laughs> that it isn't a one-time yes. It isn't a one-time yes. Please understand with me that God grants you unbelievable power. Unbelievable power. He is such a respecter of free agency. He allows you to choose. You can curse him to his face. You have that ability. I do not recommend it. In Job, the oldest book in his word, Job was a totally righteous man. And you should read it. We're not going to go there right now. You should read the book of Job. Job was a totally righteous man. He fulfilled all of God's desire for him. 
And the devil came to God one day and he said, hey, you know, of course Job loves you. Look what you've surrounded him with. He's totally protected on every side. He's wealthy beyond imagination. Of course he loves you. But listen, let me touch him, the devil says, and I'll change all of that. And the Lord said, okay, you can sift him. You can't take his life, okay? I've got limits on you here. How many of you understand that devil, the devil is nothing more than God's yes man? Now, I, I'm talking about something I don't understand, okay? We, we, need a, we need a slide up here that simply has three words on it. I don't know. And I would point to it frequently in the course of sharing from his word because I have no idea how so much of this works. But like you, I'm in process, and that's why we gather recurrently as this Bethel, this house of God. It's to go further into him and his great yeah. mysteries. We learn that we don't have to understand everything. We need to trust. Trusting belief, it's called faith. So in Hebrews, we see the Judaic Christians wavering in their faith. All of a sudden, this Jesus is a disappointment because we expected him to return by now, and he hasn't returned. And here we are two millennia later, and he hasn't returned yet. And the letter of Hebrews deals with these issues. First of all, the writer establishes the superiority of Christ over any other option, including and especially relating to uh, Aaronic priesthood, Mosaic law, which was the system they had up to that point. But those were never meant to be the solution because Jesus Christ was slain from the foundation of the world in the heavenlies. Okay, things were already in place. In the fullness of time, Christ came. What does the fullness of time mean? I don't know. <laughs> but we know that he came and we call that date around 4 to 6 B.C., on our timeline that we established. And we know that he was born of the Virgin Mary. He grew in wisdom and stature with God and man. He lived a sinless life. He worked in his father's carpenter shop. I would love to have some of his woodwork. <laughs> and he entered ministry at about the age of 30 years because as a Jewish man, you did not have a public forum you would not be respected when you spoke publicly, particularly concerning the things of God, unless you were 30 years of age. So he entered his formal ministry at 30 years of age, and by three years later, he was nailed to the cross. He didn't stay there. He died. His last words were, it is finished. What was finished? Everything. Yes. What did the cross change? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he is the fullness, in, uh, he is the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. That's Jesus. Yeah. To this day, he sits at the right hand of the Father in the heavenlies waiting for the Father to announce that it's time to return to the earth. 
He sent to us because he made this impossible requirement of us in John, the uh, 14th chapter, around about the 14th, 15th verse. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> Whoa. Anybody here that's accomplished that? Yeah. It's impossible. We don't muster enough love, I think, to keep his commandments. But then in the very next verse, because you know he, he's so kind and gracious, loving, without fault. In the very next verse, he gives us the solution. He says, and I will send you a helper, the comforter, and he'll teach you everything about me. He will live in you. And, uh, you know, that's so easy for that to happen because when you say yes to Jesus and accept all that he is and you give him all that you are, then there's this incredible transfiguration of your inner person which begins to show outwardly too. And it's because he sends you this deposit of the Holy Spirit to live in you. And the Holy Spirit teaches us and counsels us and, and reveals to us the heart of God for us at every turn of life. So that's an easy part of the ledger. But again, God loves partnership, doesn't he? He always has a role for us. It's never one-sided. Even at salvation, though Jesus did it all, we do have to say yes. <laughs> we do have to say yes. So the side of the ledger that's our part in the Holy Spirit indwelling us is do we inhabit the Holy Spirit? Yeah, he'll, he'll always be there, but... You know, we all know in our own life and in the lives of Christians around us, we, we see the kind of continued failings, if you will. You know, you look at what someone does um, and you say, well, that's not Jesus. And uh, I'll thank you to not ask my wife about that concerning me. <laughs> so, you know, our side of the ledger is that we have to press into the Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit is gentleman above all gentlemen and it's, it's quite easy to grieve him it's easy to shun him it's easy to hurt him deeply and the Lord calls us beyond that and, and he has the pathway for us so let's look a little at Hebrews here then. Um, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. There's the warning against uh, the neglect of salvation, the warning against uh, a failure to mature, a warning against uh, turning back from Christ, a warning against refusing God, and a warning against unbelief. And uh, that turning back, um, the end result of that is apostasy. 
And um, as I kind of plumbed some of the depth of this, I, I developed uh, out of what Scripture teaches us in this, what I've labeled the apostasy pipeline. Okay, the apostasy pipeline. And um, the first installment of the apostasy pipeline is uh, the deceitfulness of sin. Um, do you believe uh, that it's possible for one to live above sin? How many yeses do we have? How many noes do we have? A lot of uncommitted there. That's okay. We're all learning in this, me most of all. Well, if, if, I, if I parse Scripture correctly, it does appear to me that it is possible to live above sin. Does anyone here live above sin? Um, but in Christ, are you a, quote, sinner saved by grace? Well, you, you were right that the moment you came to Christ, you were, past tense, a sinner, saved, present tense, by grace. Going forward from that grace intersection, is it your nature to sin? You were given a new nature at salvation. This is incredibly important. And this does not see a lot of light of day in our current American Christology. And it needs to. You have a new nature from the moment you came into Christ. Super Jesus got hold of natural you, and you are now supernatural. You can choose to commit sin. Anybody sinned here since they came into Christ? Yeah. Is it your nature, though? No. You are acting out of your nature. Because the Lord at the cross dealt fully with sin. He... From his standpoint, he is finished with sin. Okay? I asked this question back in October. Did God punish Jesus enough at the cross for the sin of mankind? Or is there some punishment left over because Jesus wasn't enough to take all of the punishment? Is there punishment left over that you're to get when you sin? No. God is finished with sin at the cross. God said at the cross, on the cross, it is finished. This message is perhaps more for me than it is for you. This is something we all wrestle with 
receiving in our inner person. But receive it, we must. If we are going to move closer to that plane we've been birthed into of seeing in our flesh what is our spiritual position in Christ, which is we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's our position. That's our new nature. It grieves Holy Spirit when we choose sin. I think in my own life, see if you identify with this, it doesn't grieve me very much, very much of the time. God help us. God help us. And he does and he will. We live in such a distracted time in America. We, we are the highest functioning culture in the history of mankind. We are wealthy beyond belief. And all of that is a tremendous seduction. It perverts our Christology throughout our churches. It certainly has perverted my Christology. God help us. I have never lived in a more troubled America. I don't know what America will choose. It is possible to lose this nation. And it can happen in a frighteningly short amount of time. Some would argue that World War III has already started in the nation of Ukraine. We just haven't gone nuclear yet. Yet. I don't say that to engender any fear because we've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And understand this along with that, that God is not a respecter of nations or a respecter of any person, starting with me and going to you. He will cast down a person, a nation, whatever sector of mankind that very intentionally and unrepentantly refuses to submit to the authority of his wisdom and way for us. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's out of Hebrews. So back to the apostasy pipeline. And, and what does apostasy mean? It means that you having come to Christ, and this is where a lot of the 
Judaic Christians were headed, you having come to Christ, reach some point or points of bitter disappointment in your walk with God, disappointment with God, and you turn your back on him. The beginnings of that is the deceitfulness of sin. We begin to welcome things into our lives that are not his purpose and way for us. That list is pretty much endless. At any rate, anything that is not of faith is sin. That deceitfulness of sin, when we entertain it for a season, it uh, progresses from there to hardness of heart. I refer to you to Ezekiel chapter 11, 19 through 21 for a scriptural reference for that. So deceitfulness of sin leads to hardness of heart, leads to unbelief. And uh, we're going to look at Hebrews 3, 12 through 14, because that's our book today. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And that is the wrong verse. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, unbelief. Oh, here we go. I'm sorry. That is the right verse. I'm reading in the wrong place. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if... We hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So if we enter unbelief, the next stage that follows on the heels of that is apostasy. Turn to Hebrews 6 chapter, verses 4 through 6. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew themselves again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That's apostasy. Again, remember, God's all about partnership. From his side of the ledger, once saved, always saved, okay? You will never lose your salvation from God's side of the ledger. However, the great power he gives us, one pathway in which it can reveal itself is if we go through this apostasy pipeline to its bitter conclusion, which is we rest, W-R-E-S-T, ourselves from under the protecting blood covering of Jesus Christ. 
we renounce our faith and we are unsaved. Do I need to make that any clearer? Once saved, always saved. Yes, absolutely true from Jesus' side of the ledger. From your side of the ledger, it depends on what you believe. Steadfast to the end, Hebrews says, steadfast to the end. You keep this sealed through faith. Faith is not a one-time condition of your life. It is a lifestyle. It is therefore right alongside repentance. Repentance is not a one-time event in your life. There's an initial point when we come into Christ. Repentance is the doorway. The faith that calls us to repentance is gifted to us by Jesus Christ. That faith doesn't come from within us. We, in our natural state, are wicked from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. There is none good, not one accomplishes his purposes before Christ. Christ was the perfect sacrifice. He replaced all the Judaic, Aaronic, priesthood, rituals, laws, observances. Because he, in the priesthood of Melchizedek, Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ to whom Abraham, the father of us all, paid tithes after his war with the kings. He paid them to Melchizedek, who had no genealogy. He had no predecessor and no subsequent heirs. He was the pre-incarnate Christ. And Christ came in the priesthood of Melchizedek to do away with the rules and observances of the law, and he replaced the repeated animal sacrifices that never satisfied the ultimate need, but they did them and did them and did them. Jesus came once for all as God himself in the form of man. He lay aside all of his godly rights, privileges, power even. Laid it all aside for a period of time to be born as that baby in Bethlehem. He led a sinless, perfect life. He was crucified because he was the enemy of the world. He was the enemy of me and you because we were lost in sin. And that perfect sacrifice, that second Adam, provided the blood atonement for your sin and mine. As sin entered the world by the first Adam, the second Adam came and dealt with it totally, forever, done, story over, it is finished. 
on our side of the ledger, we must continue in that submitted belief, that faith that looks forward to something we don't see right now. And we structure our life in submission to what we see ahead by faith. And so faith is the final tool in the arsenal that Hebrews addresses after establishing the supremacy of Christ above everything that came before. Having come to Christ, this is how we stay in Christ. We run the race of faith. In Hebrews 11, we have the hallway of faith. They, they parade out all these wonderful persons of the Old and New Testament and the lives of faith that they lived. I love the story of Noah. And let's go to Hebrews 11 real quickly. This is verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. You all know the story of Noah. So here's Noah. He is 400-something years old. When God comes to him and says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I can just see it. God, what's an ark? <laughs> well, I'll show you as you build it. He gave him all the dimensions, everything about it, and Noah starts building an ark. Can you imagine his friends coming around? Noah, what you doing? Building an ark. What's an ark? Not quite sure. When's it going to be finished? Don't know. Looks like a ship. Yeah, it's a ship. Noah, there's no ocean around here. Yep, you're right. Why are you building this thing? God told me. God told me. If I remember correctly, I think they estimate that he was 120 years building the ark. Can you imagine the ridicule? Because remember, Noah and his family were the only ones on the planet at that point that found favor in God's eyes. The earth was desperately wicked. Wickedness, the likes of which we, thank God, probably don't have any understanding of. Can you imagine the ridicule? Eighty years into it, a new generation of friends are coming around because many of the others have passed away. Noah, what you doing? Building an ark. How long you been at it? Well, 80 years now. Wow, Noah, you're flipping crazy. <laughs> Noah would probably perhaps agree with him. Yeah, you know, I, you could be right. Well, what you going to do, Noah? Keep building the ark. Why? Well, God told me to. The race of faith, the process of faith, never allows for um, a digression from its requisite associated action. James speaks to this. Um, don't you love the book of James? I like to avoid the book of James. 
James's visceral Christianity. This is what it looks like on the street. Not in here on Sunday where we're kind of a, you know, we kind of resonate off of each other and, and we get all pumped up and the Lord's here and it's all wonderful. And that's certainly as it should be. We wouldn't trade that for anything. This is where we, this Bethel, this house of God called Grace Community Church, this is where we get built up, recharged for the week ahead. Because, man, you walk out of the doors of this place and there's no telling what you're going to encounter out there this coming week. But we come here to get built up in our faith. Praise God. So that submitted, committed belief structure we can never depart from. I, I love how Job, uh, the book of Job, states this. Let me find my note. Man, I'm pretty disorganized here today. Job 8, Job 13, 15. You got to read the book of Job, okay? That's your assignment this week. Read the book of Job. These are Job's words after he's lost everything. After his wife earlier said, why don't you just curse God and die? Lost his kids, lost all of his livestock, lost his farm, everything burned down. I mean, he's covered with sores from head to foot. He, he, he yeah. Misery we've never experienced, no matter what you've experienced in this life, you've never been there. And his wife has told him earlier in the recorded books to just curse God and die. Job never did. And so in chapter 13, verse 15, he says this, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Faith that submitted, committed belief in future beneficence coming from God is what will see us through anything in this life. And we will not enter the apostate pipeline and find ourselves ending at its conclusion, which is the renouncing of Jesus Christ. So, in conclusion, we go to chapter 12, where in verses 1 and 2, we see what is arguably the most important passage in God's holy word. After the writer has gone through this marvelous uh, review of the faithful who have gone before us. He says these words, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Weight is, uh, you know, distraction. It's not necessarily bad stuff. It's just not the good stuff. Lay aside every weight. How many of you deal with distraction in your daily lives? Yeah. You know, we need to 
turn the internet off. We need to unplug from phones. We need, uh, there's a lot we need to do in America to get ourselves recentered. Sometimes what we view as being great helps are in fact great hindrances. You know, in the, in the fullness of time, Jesus came. What does that mean again? I don't know, except it was the fullness of time. Jesus came at a level of technology <laughs> in the human race in 4 to 6 B.C. that just didn't exist. Everything they knew about that man, Jesus, came by word of mouth. No postal service, no television, no telephones, no internet, no smartphones, no nothing. And he single-handedly, aided by the 12 disciples he chose and trained, revolutionized the history of the world. It's the reason we're all here today because of what that man did walking everywhere he went on rare occasion he rode a donkey his triumphal entry into Jerusalem he had an upgrade on his transportation mode <laughs> so you and I we deal with a lot of static a lot of noise in this life I would suggest we need to unplug from a lot of it. It does have a reasonable place when it's kept to a reasonable place. Above all, though, we need this book, the living word of God. So going on in Hebrews 12, 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. He's talking about Christians here. He's not talking about the world. The sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author. Again, the only reason you came to Jesus was he gifted you the faith to come to him. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Ultimate example of faith. Jesus was looking to the reward. He could go through hell, and he literally did, because he knew what the other side of hell looked like. So, dear ones of God, when you are going through hell in this life, don't stop. Don't stop. Press in. Keep going. Immerse yourself in Jesus and stay there. He and he alone is our hope. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Bless his name forever. We praise and worship you, Lord, now and evermore. I want to leave you with the Hebrew benediction. It's in chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. I want to speak this over you as we close. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's it for today's teaching. Hey, here's an idea. Share today's message with a friend or family member. If you're listening from outside our fellowship, we'd love to meet you. Visit graceid.org and hit the contact form to get in touch. We'd also love for you to join us. You can even check us out on Facebook Live by searching Facebook for Grace Church Rupert ID. Learn more and plug in at graceid.org. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Grace Community Church.